Welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We bring on Ken Baker, who has an incredible story from a hockey and a life perspective and we get nice and deep on this episode talk a lot of philosophical things uh but want to give you a little bit of introduction to ken here grew up in uh, buffalo new york played his college hockey as a goaltender at colgate university and then went through a little bit of a rough patch and he's going to talk about it on the podcast episode but ended up getting uh, a sickness called prolactinoma which is a hormonal imbalance type illness uh which caused him to go through a little bit of a tough time but through that he ended up finally figuring out what it was and went on to pursue his dreams to play professional hockey and then he wrote a book about it uh, which is called they don't play hockey in heaven which is one of the many books that he's written uh, he spent time out in hollywood as a celebrity reporter uh, he now lives in the chicagoland area where he is a dad of two teenage goaltenders one boy and one girl so a lot of great stuff on this episode but before we do get to ken Let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Lavecchio. Vex, what's going on today, man? I'm all hopped up on life, Tove. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't drink Mountain Dew. That, that's like a standard for you now. I feel like one, once every five episodes we get that uh, I'm all hopped up on something. Well, I'm all hopped up on life, man. Just feeling good. Got a lot of good stuff going. Yeah, that was a great conversation we just had with Ken. I mean, uh, would you would you deep. say that was probably the deepest person we've had on in terms of yeah. philosophical stuff that we were talking about? Pretty close. Yeah, we got we we got into we got into some some Buddhism. We got into <laughs> some life lessons. We got into hockey translating to the rest of your life, like you know. The, diseases and illnesses and how overcoming them can define you and you know same thing as overcoming adversity in hockey and how there's a parallel there when you learn these things in hockey then you can take them to tough situations that happen in your life like like happened with ken and very cool stuff very very cool stuff following your passion and your journey like yeah we we got deep (laughs) i think the biggest thing that i took out of it and and uh i just i love talking about this is we talked about dreaming big and and how valuable and how powerful it could be to dream big and we live we talk about the comparative culture a lot on this podcast episode and how that can really suck the joy out of really wanting to to dream big for the kids nowadays but uh, you know i don't think there's anything healthier or anything more powerful like i said as having really really big almost unattainable dreams where you gotta, you have to put everything you have into something, and you have to sacrifice for something bigger than that. And it's just, it's such a cool thing to be able to have. We both grew up with that mentality, and that got us to some pretty cool places. You know, you were a preseason game away from playing in the NHL. Um, I wasn't, but I got. I got kind of close. <laughs> you got far. For, for a five foot four person, far. anyway. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it's just, it's so good for you and so good for just your psyche and, and your soul to, to have something to, to dream about and something big to try and strive for. And it's just, it's, I hope that doesn't get lost nowadays. I, I hope that kids can grow up with that sense of, of empowerment to really follow a, a big dream. 
I mean, they should because they have so much at their fingertips that that can help them. Like, and like we always talk about, like, I mean, you're, you're a voracious reader. Uh, I'm a voracious YouTube learner (laughs) and Instagram learner. Like I try to just follow people that I love learning from on Instagram and they put up amazing content. And that's part of the reason that I love doing this podcast because we, I know we help so many people with it and I feel like I'm kind of giving back to the the community, the world when I feel like I'm learning from so many people on mediums that are super easy, easier for me to learn from like YouTube and, and following doctors and uh, elite strength coaches and stuff like that on YouTube and Instagram. And so like we do it through the podcast. So kids and parents and coaches, like you can find information to make you better at whatever you want to be. Like just, try. I mean, it's, it's, everyone's got a smartphone now or almost everyone does. Everyone has access to the internet here who are listening to our podcast. So like, if you want something like state it, go out and then learn and get better and fail and learn from that and get better. And you know, it's, it's, it's pretty easy. It's, but it's really cool. And, uh, you know, I didn't know where I was going with that, but I just want everyone to go out there and do that. Like, I wish we had, I say to these kids all the time, take advantage of every, if you got a goal and you have something you're striving for, like state it, write it down over and over, talk about it, and then have, uh, hold yourself accountable to getting better and finding ways to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's funny. I want to go back to what you said about us being able to have kind of an impact in, in doing what we're doing. How about the fact we get this tweet here today that, uh, this mom has an eight U kid and he listens to our podcast before bed every night to, to go like, to me that how cool is that? And just, we've been through a lot of stuff. You know, we've seen a lot of things, a lot of good, a lot of tough. Uh, I, I think being open and vulnerable about the good and the bad on this podcast and the things that we've learned um, to be able to to give back, like you said, and, and share some of those experiences that kids will maybe have already gone through and or are going through or will go through. Um, same thing with even parents too, you know. And it's just, uh, it's very, very cool to know that, we're able to have an impact in a positive way on the hockey community. That's why we started this. Um, that's what the hockey think tank is about. And it's just like, it kind of warms my heart knowing that there's kids out there listening and, and they're, we're making an impact, you know, a hundred percent. It's the coolest tweet ever. And if anyone who listens to us is, follows our Twitter, I know I retweeted, I'm guessing Tofu as well. You can check it out. Um, but yeah, I mean like that, that's why we do this. It's so cool. Like an eight-year-old kid is li- like she took a video and it's him listening to our podcast while he's laying in his bunk bed with these cool lights going on. <laughs> and like, what man? Like, are you kidding me? That like so very, very cool, very humbling, very exciting. It's the reason that we do this late at night and, and we talk whenever we can about bringing on cool guests and trying to help anyone who listens to us. Yeah, yeah. And Ken Ken has an incredible story and he's one of those people that you're going to learn a lot from in, in this episode. He's almost like a, a Buddha himself in, in the wisdom that he shares and uh, his story, again, being so sick and not really knowing what was going on and, and almost losing his love for the game and then finding it again and, and going through his journey of finding it again and all the things that he learned throughout that whole process. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be one. There were times where I was kind of at the tip of my seat as he was talking, just like hearing him spout out his wisdom and through his experiences. And I think people are going to get a lot out of this episode. 
Yeah, 100%. And I definitely did. And uh, it was a very touching episode and thought provoking. And um, yeah, it was very cool. Yeah, for sure. So we don't need to talk very much uh, anymore because this was a great episode. But a couple updates on our end. Uh, we started a YouTube channel. And I think we talked about this a little bit the last episode, but we're up and running now. And so again, we, we love making videos. We love putting out as much hockey education content as we can. So being able to do that on YouTube, uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, go ahead and, and go there. And then uh, Jeff and I and, and some other people have some very, very cool things uh in the works right now so not really ready to make any crazy announcements yet but we're working on some very fun things that we'll be able to do this summer and uh this has just been this has just been a fun journey man and being able to do new things and being able to meet new people and put some more things out there it's been uh it's been cool one of those things might be helping tof get a six-pack hint (laughs) teaser that's all we're gonna say we're not gonna say anything else on that Tof might be but at least a four pack. We're shooting for a four pack, just a teaser, nothing else. Uh, and on my end, I just want to give an update from our, our most recent episode, Tyler Parks, because such a great episode. And if any of you guys listening to this one, haven't heard that one, you want to hear one of the most motivating, powerful stories of a guy who is just desperate to succeed and is, does a lot of things we talk about on this podcast, just puts it out there, puts himself out there. Um, listen to the Tyler Parks episode. It's unbelievable. But definitely, uh, like two days after the podcast aired, uh, the goalie in uh, Phoenix got healthy, which kind of bumped him down on the total pole. So he's back in the East Coast League right now. But I'll tell you what, I talked to him the day he got there and a few days after on the phone for a little bit and then texting with him and you know, he's the same old parks. He wants to get the net back in the coast, uh, and go after it and hopefully get called up by another team here in the American league and make a push to, to really be an American league goalie next year full time. So really exciting. And just want to let the people know that, uh, he's back in the coast, but he's same old parks and he's going to get after it. And I, I bet my, my left, he's back up in the <laughs> AHL. So. Okay. then. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, with that, uh, we have some people to thank before we headed over to Ken here. Um, so we actually just re-upped with Gel Sticks uh, for our title sponsor. Uh, we we have a great collaboration with them and uh, the product that they put out with their weighted training sticks. Uh, they provide a lot of value. There's NHL teams that use it. There's college teams that use it. The NTDP junior teams all all over the country that uh, that use the sticks. So um, thank them for being our title sponsor and head over to gelsticks g-e-l-s-t-x.com use the discount code think tank one word and you can get a discount on uh, some weighted training sticks and then as always I, I never want this to feel like it's just something that we do because we really truly are grateful for everybody that listens to our podcast and helps us to spread the word and spread a little positivity in this hockey world and we cannot thank you enough for the support that you've given us we're getting very very dangerously close to 100 episodes which is just mind blowing to, to Jeff and I I'll, I'll, I'll put you in that one um just the fact that we're still doing this over a year later probably getting close to a year and a half later we're getting close to 100 episodes i mean it's uh it's absolutely crazy we wouldn't be able to do it without you so thank you so much for providing us feedback thank you so much for spreading the word uh to whoever your networks are and uh, you guys are going to absolutely love this episode here with ken baker so without further ado let's bring it on over to ken baker 
we are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, the goalie extraordinaire, Ken Baker. Ken, how are we doing today, man? Um, doing well, doing well. How, how are you guys? Oh, can't complain. Doing good. It's Thursday night. I'm actually heading up to Vermont. Uh, to see some of my wife's family tomorrow, do a little skiing. So I am, uh, it's much needed little vacation here. <laughs> well, I thought I was doing phenomenally until I just heard Toe's story. Now I'm doing terribly after I know what he's doing this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Ken, your, your kids' seasons are over. So what are you going to do for the next, like, I don't know, three, four months? Going to have nothing to do. Oh, don't you? <laughs> Don't you worry about me. I have a whole list of things. Not sitting in an ice rink every night of the week. Don't don't worry about me. I'll be okay. I like it. I like it. Well, I have to tell a story to to start this off because, Vex, you will get an absolute kick out of this. So Ken plays goalie, and we'll obviously get into his story in a little bit, but uh, he was gracious enough to play in our charity hockey game a couple years ago to benefit Special Olympics Chicago. And honestly, it was one of the most scary moments of my life that Ken gave me. So during those... Well, so during those charity games, like I freak out because I just don't want the star players to get hurt. That's like one of my biggest things. Like, please, God, do not let the star players get hurt. So it was a great game, all this kind of stuff, like raised a lot of money. And then one of the things we do at the end of the game is we do a shootout. So we have especially all the celebrities that play. They go on and they go down and try and shoot on the goalie. So Ken's in net and who comes up but Patrick Kane. So Kaner's up. He's going on Ken Baker. Unreal. So again, like the whole crowd's just like, oh, what's Kaner going to do? It's in Chicago. That's kind of his thing. So he goes down on Ken and Ken poke checks him, comes right out and poke checks him. Oh, like, my, oh God. my God. Please don't my God. Don't go here. So he didn't that get could hurt. Could be a $10 million mistake. <laughs> he didn't get hurt. But Ken, you got the save. So I do have to give you that. Oh, he saved it. <laughs> I did stop him. I did stop him. But but see, here's the thing. We, we need to back up. First of all, Topher, you're very nice to invite me. And I don't know if you remember, but, uh, you know, it's at the Chicago Blackhawks training facility. You know, I live here in Chicago uh, for the most part. I'm almost always here. Um, and you invited me to come play. And I think I told you, I go, you know, I haven't played in a year. And before that, I haven't played in like three years. And the last time I played, which had been a year before, was at, um, do you remember when the NHL had their anniversary? I guess it was their uh, 100th anniversary, and they brought back all the stars over time, and they did a big charity game, and it was at Staples Center. And it's famous for when um, Pronger, uh, uh, he he body-checked Justin Bieber. (laughs) That was like the game became famous for that. Remember that? Yeah. So I yep. was on the ice during that play, like when that happened. And, uh, and so I played in that game, but the real story was that I have such a bad hip because I'm pushing 50. You talk to any goalie who's, <laughs> you talk to a goalie these days who's pushing 20, they're going to tell you they have a bad hip. So I'm pushing, 50. <laughs> I got a bad hip. So my hip was so sore before that game that I was like, I can't play unless I get this special magic shot. So there's this like doctor who shall remain nameless um, out in LA who gave me some concoction. Jeff probably knows about all the concoctions. He seems like a concoction guy. Just 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 looking at your Instagram. Um, all natural, baby. No Jeff's no all natural. Yeah. Okay. No. I'm just, 
Hey, I'm not saying, I don't know what was in it. It could have been all natural. But anyway, so he gives me a shot in my butt and I feel great. So I feel like I'm like 17 years old. I'm a, I have a 17 year old hip. I'm feeling good. So I got there. I play this game. Uh, it was really fun. You know, I played with like Boria Salming and Nick Lidstrom and, uh, you know, just like all these famous guys. I mean, like Joe Sackick. I mean, just you name it. I was on the ice with these legends and it was just so great. And, um, and so I'm like feeling good about myself. Snoop Dogg did the after party across the street from the Staples Center. I'm dancing. I'm like having a great time. I'm like, oh, I had fun. I played Staples Center. It's like legend. Two days later, I can't lift my leg. Like I hurt myself so badly. So I said, I'm never playing hockey again. Like I'm, or not hockey, but I'm never playing goalie again. I just can't do it. I just can't. I never had surgery. I got all the scar tissue. So Tove calls me, Jeff. And he's like, so, uh, yeah, I really would like you to do it. You know, da, da, da. Sounded kind of desperate a little bit. I know. I'm just saying I might not have been his first choice, which is okay. You were so, my first um, choice. It's for a good call. Okay, right. So, so anyway, so <laughs> the accountant who played for the Blackhawks wasn't available, obviously. So he just like came to me, and so I was like, "All right, I'm going to buck up and do this." So the problem was, I went out there, and I think the other goalie was um, uh, who was the goalie? He played for Toronto. Uh, Sparksy, um, Garrett Sparks. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, of course, Garrett Sparks, um, who actually, he was so nice. He had this season coaching my son uh, for practice. He's such a, he's a good guy. But anyway, so he was the other goalie, and there's another guy. But anyway, so I think I told you, I was like, look, I'm on one leg, you know, and I, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> and so, so I really was shocked that I made it through the game, and we made it to the shootout. But I swear to you, I didn't throw the poke check on Kaner because I was trying to be a hot dog or I was trying to do anything. I literally could not move. So it was either like, cause he was doing that, you know, Jeff, if you could picture like, he's doing like the chopping broccoli, like, you know, he does that. <laughs> he, like he, he gets really slow and he's like, he's on the cutting board, you know, like, well, my instinct, I mean, I, I played hockey in the eighties, you know, and nineties. And so, you know, you're going to do that in my space. I don't know. I'm just instinctively going to whip the poke check. Also, I'm going to throw the poke check because I can't move. So that's, that's my only chance. And I just nailed it. And he was definitely like a little thrown off by it. I have to say, you're right. And I kind of felt bad because I look up in the stands and saw the Special Olympics kids. They wanted Patrick Kane to score. And I literally <laughs> crushed their dreams. And I felt so bad about it. But you anyway, <laughs> Oh, but thank man. you for having me. I, that was a fun game. Yeah, it was. It was for sure. But forever and always, now you will be up on Patrick Kane. One nothing. Game set match. I, Baker. <laughs> you know what I have to say though is that man. I'll tell you. I'm from Buffalo, and I know we'll kind of get to my story. But um, yeah, I grew up in Buffalo. I ended up out in California for years. Um, you know, now I moved my kids out to Chicago so they could chase their hockey dreams a little bit in a more sane way instead of like being on a plane every week. And, uh, you know, Patrick Kane is from Buffalo, of course. And, uh, didn't, you know, didn't, it was a good lesson in sort of how people can change and evolve and not only as hockey players, but as people. And, you know, we joke around about, you know, I turned the poke check or this, that, but I will tell you that what really stood out, and I played with a lot of celebrities. I played with a lot of 
you know, over the years, different you know, celebrity games and playing with pros and things. And Patrick Kane, uh, in, I guess, what is he somewhere just over 30, I guess now, maybe yep. I can't, I can't say for sure. Something like that. Um, he is a much different man than he was 10 years ago. And I will tell you that seeing him at that charity event, which by the way, he didn't have to go to, um, and how generous he was with his time, how generous he was with doofuses like me out on the ice, like hot dogging, um, and just how he gave every, like he talked to every single media outlet there. He, he was with the kids. And, uh, so I, I don't know to how you got him there, but, uh, well, I was very impressed and like anything that you've heard about Patrick Kane and, oh, he's this or that, or, you know, what? he's evolved like we all do. And, you know, uh, he is just, a, he's turned into just a really fantastic man and a great hockey player. And it was really cool to see. Yeah, he was unreal. Like he, uh, he, you're not lying. He legitimately signed every autograph. He talked to every kid. And literally when he walked up, because uh, our banquet that we had before the game, it was up the stairs at the Blackhawks practice facility. Like everybody was kind of milling around and you knew everybody was waiting for him to come up. <laughs> he like, And then as soon as he walked through those doors, every single kid that was there just absolute bull rush over to him but yeah you're right he was he was incredible like he was great during the game he was fun to be around um you know he tried you know it's a lot of times some of these celebrities in those games they kind of just kind of hot dog it and it's not like he tried 100 percent, but he like gave an honest effort where it wasn't just like kind of skating around doing nothing and uh but then you you crush his dreams you you say you stopped him on a breakaway so it is what it is I, uh... I think he's okay. I think he. I think he's all right mentally. I actually, you know what? He had his best year ever after that year. So maybe (laughs) he was like, like, yeah. He's like, if Ken Baker is stopping me, I got to work harder. So that's why he had such a good year. That's funny. Well, Ken, sometimes you have to you have to hit rock bottom (laughs) before you can rise to the top. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Ken, that I mean, that is a great story, but your story is one that's that's unreal, and and I certainly want to get to it because uh, I mean, the, what you kind of went through in your years throughout your hockey career and and how you had to persevere and stuff is something that's pretty incredible. Um, but what we do like to do with the people on the podcast is kind of bring it way back and and uh, talk about how you fell in love with the game. So you said you you grew up in the Buffalo area up here in New York, um, obviously a huge hockey town with the Sabers and everything. Um, what was it that, that drew you to the game of hockey and, and what was it that fa- made you fall in love with the game? Well, I, wow. I, uh, thanks for asking. I, it, it's funny when you, when you say it, the first thing I think of is when I was, um, about seven or eight years old, I had a neighbor, Pat O'Connor and his dad drove the Zamboni at our town rink. And I lived in a small town, uh, it's not so small now, but back then it was small called Hamburg, New York. And, uh, that's a nice in have the Zamboni driver being a neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he was obviously really good cause he could get on the ice anytime. So, um, I remember just, he was playing house league or something and my, you know, my dad didn't play hockey. I had four brothers. None of them play hockey. Well, actually my younger brother ended up playing hockey, but you know, I didn't come from a hockey family, nothing. My dad couldn't even skate, you know, so it was uh, nothing that was really exposed to me, but I was kind of around it. We'd skate outside sometimes when, before global warming and 
you know, you could just like get a hose and some plastic and make a rink and stuff and it'd be up for like three months. <laughs> um, you know, so I definitely was familiar with skating and stuff, but I wasn't really in the hockey world, but I remember watching him play and it looked like so much fun. And so I came home and I, I asked my dad, I said, you know, Hey, can I play hockey next year? And, uh, and he's like, well, then let me look into it, you know? And I mean, it was probably like, you know, $45 a season back then, you know? <laughs> Not like what it is today, um, which we can get into me being a hockey parent now. But uh, so I just started playing and I played, you know, every position. And the last uh, game of my first season, they needed a goalie. And uh, I thought it would be really cool to try. And, you know, this is Mike's. And I think I lost. I don't remember what the score was, uh, but it, I didn't care. It was so much fun being a goalie. Uh, but my dad was like, you have to learn how to skate. You have to learn how to play. Like, I don't think you should be stuck in the net. And so the next year I played half goalie, half defense. And then the year after that, I pretty much made the transition to being a full-time goalie. So it was kind of a gradual thing. And, you know, I just, for me, I think the sport was just, I, I was really taken by the position, but also the sport and just how, you know, at the time I was a big Buffalo Sabres fan, um, you know, and this is going way back, you know, we're talking like late seventies. And, um, but I have to say what really crystallized it for me was there I am a kid in upstate New York. And I was taken back to this just a few weeks ago, uh, on the anniversary of the 1980 Olympics. And, um, I remember watching that, uh, Russian, uh, U.S. game in 1980 wow. with my dad at my house outside of Buffalo, New York, and just realizing that, oh, my God, some of these guys are like 10 years, 9, 10, 11 years older than me. They're not even that much older than me. And look at what they're doing. And I was, I remember just being so inspired. And, of course, sometimes people forget, like hockey people know that that wasn't the gold medal game. The actual gold medal game was, I believe, two days later, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And I had a game. And I had to, I couldn't see the beginning of that game. And uh, all, so the parents who did go to their kid's game, because I had a game that morning, uh, they were all watching like some little black and white TV, like in the lobby or something. And the announcer would come on the PA system and tell us the score of the game in the middle of our game of the U.S. Uh, gold medal game. And then I was able to rush home and see the end of it. But needless to say, you know, that was a real turning point for me and inspiring me and my generation of, you know, like I said, someone who's pushing 50 years old. So that was really, boom, I'm 10 years old. And, and the U S just took down the, the, the biggest team. And, and it was just a bunch of kids who weren't even that much older than me. And it was just so inspiring. And then, you know, six years later, I was playing for um, a U.S. national team, and and I really uh, take that back. You know, like a, a 16U um, uh, USA hockey team, and uh, and I'll tell you that whole trajectory went right back to 1980. So I was one of those kids who was inspired by that amazing Lake Placid victory. That's so cool, and like. You know, Toph and I obviously weren't born yet because we're a little younger than you. Uh, but um, <laughs> that's not even a dagger. That's just like truth. That's just like the actual timeline of the earth. But anyways, uh, bad dagger. Um, 
But like going into the rink after that happened, like what was it like? Was it just like electric in the U.S.? Like were kids just like pretending to be like, were you pretending to be Jim Craig? Because like for the Olympics, for me, it, it was never like that when I was a kid. I loved watching them, but there was no like aha moment like that. So what was it like going in the rink after they beat the Russians and they win the gold and all that stuff? Um, well, I, I remember just playing that game on that. I, I, my memory is, and someone will correct us. Uh, it was like on a Sunday, it was the gold medal game. I'm almost quite sure. Cause we always played our games on Sunday. So I was like, yeah, it had to have been a Sunday. Um, and I mean, we're going back 40 years, so <laughs> I'm not quite sure on the details there, but I just remember, you know, it was literally, I would say, people played hockey up in, a, in Buffalo and upstate New York, of course, and we were on the border of Canada and it was a popular sport, but I would say probably the next fall when, you know, and I was a house league kid at the time, um, I would say it was like double the teams, you know, wow. like it was that dramatic. It was wow. that dramatic. And, and, uh, it really changed the game in a lot of ways. It sort of was, you know, you know, and the, how Gretzky kind of influenced the game of Southern California it was like, imagine that on a national scale. Right. Uh, and that's, that's really how I remember it. That's really cool. Very cool. That's really cool. Well, yeah, we're able to do that in Buffalo and, and became a goalie. And, and that, that, uh, that brought you to Colgate university where you played one of our rivals at Cornell. Um, but this is kind of where your story gets really, really interesting, Ken, because you get to Colgate and you're kind of starting to feel not right in, in some ways. And, and if you haven't read Ken's book, uh, they don't play hockey in heaven. Uh, you have to go get that book. It was an awesome, awesome read where you tell the story about how you went from where you were at that time to eventually, um, getting some time playing professional hockey, but you're at Colgate, you start to get a little bit ill, but you're not really sure what's going Going on, so if you can, just kind of tell us a little bit about what happened at that time when you were there, and and uh, you know what your feelings were like as you kind of figured out that that you were pretty pretty ill. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, definitely things took a took a different turn for me, and it ended up really defining my life in so many ways. Um, but what ended up happening was I was fortunate enough to. Uh, you know, I played junior hockey for a, a great coach in Buffalo. His name's Chris Hicks. Uh, he was a great guy. He resurrected the junior A program in in Buffalo. Uh, that used to be the junior Sabres. He resurrected it as the Niagara Scenic. And I got to play in the North American Hockey League uh, as a senior in high school. And uh, a lot of good opportunities came from that, as well as some of the USA Hockey participation I did with the 16 and 17s. And I was, you know, I mean, at the time I thought, you know, Hey, I'm a hot shot, you know, like, <laughs> like I'm like, you know, I'm really good. Um, Jeff and, says that all the time uh, on the show. Enough. We get it. <laughs> well, I don't think he said, I, I, I think, uh, Jeff is really good. Let's face it. I mean, he's, uh, he says, he, he says it's cause it's true. He's not bragging. He's just who he is. Um, but anyway, so yeah, Thanks, I feel Ken. pretty good about myself. Yeah. I, I'm here to pump you up. <laughs> so uh, I was feeling pretty good about myself and was, uh, I had the opportunity to get recruited by Colgate university, uh, which obviously is a long, has a great tradition. Um, you know, we're not big fans of the big red, but, uh, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> and, um, so I, um, you know, I go there and 
all of a sudden, I go from being this hotshot and, you know, I'm on all the lists and everything to I literally did not play a second uh, my freshman year and was the third goalie. And it was just completely jarring. And, um, you know, and the coach is like, you know, you got to get stronger, you know, you know, why don't you get a little more athletic? You know, Cause the goalies ahead of me were one, the big one was he was Canadian. He was like two years older. He was like a man. I was like a boy. Uh, you know, so I just was like, I gotta, get, I gotta work out, you know? So I go in the off season and I like work out. I have a job where I'm working outside for the highway department. I'm like, I'm going to like trim down, get rid of this baby fat and get as strong as I can. And, uh, yeah, I made some progress, but, you know, I never wasn't like, uh, yeah, I wasn't exactly a Levecchio, if you know what I'm saying. So, um, but so. Tire so, pump. <laughs> I know. I just keep doing that. I don't know why. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, so my sophomore year comes, uh, you know, I'm just, you know, practicing hard, but realizing too that, oh, I better become a good student, uh, cause I was not actually. And Colgate, thank you, Colgate University for ma- making me actually learn how to learn and use my brain. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, you know, I started to work on plan B, uh, but, you know, got to play near the end of the season, played a few games and, uh, did okay. And, and that was a big year for us who we went to the NCAA finals. Uh, and then, you know, my junior and senior year, I was able to be a starter, uh, but it just was always a struggle and it was really hard for me to explain, but I just never felt like I retain, re- regained my form, you know? And, um, and, you know, and off the ice, I was going through a lot too. Like, I just felt like, I don't know, like my body, I wasn't building muscle in the way I wanted. I just didn't feel strong. Um, I, you know, you know I, I literally was like, I don't have a sex drive. I'm in college. Like, what's wrong with me? You know, like, I, I just felt like a blob. Like, I'd get headaches all the time. And, and I, it was a real struggle just to practice and play and go to school and, I mean, it was a, you know, I mean, at the time I just was like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just stressed out and I'm doing too much. Um, so I ended up graduating, uh, it was, you know, really, uh, was really blessed to get a, a degree from Colgate, had some opportunities to play in the old ECHL, uh, before it's actually a, a good league. Like it is now. <laughs> it was like kind of renegade league. Uh, but I didn't, I was just sort of done with hockey. It was very frustrating for me to play hockey. Uh, I wasn't getting the outcomes that I wanted or was used to and expected. And I had this degree and I just wanted to move on. So I ended up going to journalism school and, uh, got my journalism degree, got in the newspapers and, uh, wanted to be a writer and, and just went and moved forward with my life. Well, four years, uh, after I graduated, I finally went to a doctor and told him like, Hey, I always have these headaches and, and my sex drive. I was dating a girl and she's like, you should go to a doctor. Something's wrong. Something's not right. Exactly. So I go and the doctor gives you the old calls you up and says, uh, can you come into the office? And that's never good. You know, if you can't tell me over the phone, um, so I was like, yeah, I'll be right there. So at this point I was out in Los Angeles, I was working for people magazine and, uh, was a reporter and, um, but was struggling physically, you know, less mentally too, uh, just because of the lack of energy and the lethargy and just not feeling right. And, uh, and frankly, also mourning the loss of my hockey career. It was very difficult on me. And, uh, so all these things were happening. I go to the doctor and the doctor says, uh, well, I think I have an answer for why you've been feeling the way you have. And he shows me a lab report 
uh, some blood work he did, and I had uh, the level of a, the, this hormone called prolactin, uh, which if you're a guy, you really don't need it. You have like a level of like five, like just to be, you know, like just because it's there. Uh, but it, it doesn't have any substantial impact on your hormonal balance. Um, uh, just for example, a, a woman who's say, you know, just given birth and is lactating will have a prolactin level of maybe 150, 200, maybe a little more, something like that. You know, so significantly more, right? The doctor shows my lab report and it said that my level of prolactin was 1,600. Wow. That's what I said. (laughs) So imagine that. And so essentially what I would learn is I'd then get an MRI and I'd find out that I had this golf ball sized tumor in my skull at the base of my brain that was attached to my pituitary gland, which is makes all your hormones. And it was just growing this mass and it was making my gland overproduce this hormone for whatever reason to this day, we still don't know. So in that moment, I had this really mixed feeling of, uh, fear anxiety, uh, what's going to happen to me, what's going on, yet at the same time, complete relief and that I had an answer to why hockey just became not the same. And I said to my doctor, I go, when did this start growing? He goes, oh, you've probably had this since you were like 10 or 11 years old. And so I looked back and I was like, oh, that makes sense. Um, And so what happened to me was uh, we tried to shrink it with medication and, uh, you know, I was getting really bad headaches. I mean, you put something the size of golf on your head, you're probably going to get a headache. Uh, And it was getting very difficult. And the drugs they were giving me was actually making me feel worse. And so about a year later, went in, had this very, what's now archaic surgery that they do very high tech now where they cut uh, an incision uh, just kind of inside my mouth and went right up through uh, basically my face and took out this tumor and uh, within three weeks I was lifting weights like triple of what I ever had. I had normal testosterone levels for the first time in my adult life and uh, talk about feeling good about myself. I was like, I had no idea. Now I feel really good about myself. I was able to enjoy my body in every way and just enjoy life. And it was a real turning point. And so for me, uh, it was only a matter of time before I called up my mom back in Buffalo and said, hey, I think there's a bag in the rafters above the garage that has all of my hockey gear. Can you send it out? Because <laughs> I literally hadn't touched my hockey gear since I left. I kind of just had a funeral for hockey. So I can't do this anymore. And uh, when I got healthy, I was like, I want to I start playing, but just for fun. And I started playing for fun. And as you know, and anyone knows who's played competitively, you can say you just play for fun, but there's that period of time where you really can't. You're still competitive. And, uh, of course I go back to play for fun. I end up winning our adult league and I'm ready. <laughs> I got to win, you know, and all that stuff starts coming back. And, uh, a year later I took leave from my magazine job and, and went back to play what was my dream, which was to play pro hockey. And I wrote a book about it and that's, they don't play hockey in heaven, which is the book you mentioned. 
Yeah, so that was an incredible book, Ken. But I, I did want to ask Jeff a question because we've had people on the podcast ask about concussions before. Um, and Jeff, you went through a tough time. Um, sim- I, I would say kind of similar to Ken because with a concussion, you're never really sure what it is. You just have yeah. the symptoms and you, you, you don't really know. Was there ever a point in your recovery um, where you kind of felt that same relief that Ken did? Like, hey, I know what's going on. Or was there kind of like a, like a stick in the sand where I, I've, you know, I've had concussions but not even nearly as, as bad as you had? What was that kind of like for you? Is it No, because there's the, – the- it wasn't like like Ken had no idea what was wrong with him, and then they were able to say, this is what's wrong with you. When you have post-concussion syndrome, like, yeah, when they found out that my vestibular system was off, I was like, oh, thank God. Like, that's why when I turn around even slowly, I almost fall over. So, like, that was great. But, like, then I do re- re- vestibular rehab four days a week for a couple months, and I'm still not better. So it's like with a concussion, you can never really be like, well, this is it and it's going to clear up if we take it out or it's going to clear up if we zap it with this or do medicine. It's just kind of like, well, we hope it goes away, you know, and obviously there's things you can do to make them better 100 percent. And when I started doing them, I got better. But no, I mean, it was the same thing that Ken had to go through for all those years. It was just kind of like, what the hell is wrong with me? No one can tell me why can't anyone tell me? And that's probably a big part of why it's so hard because you're just like, you never know if you're going to wake up and be normal again. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Ken, that's uh, let's get back to your story here because um, it's incredible. And again, if you haven't read Ken's book, they don't play hockey in heaven for, for me, like your story in itself was very inspiring and in, in getting back into, you know, the pro hockey thing. But I think your adaptation and your storytelling of what minor league hockey is was incredible and extremely entertaining. And that must've been just one of the craziest year or two that you've had in your entire life. So what was that experience like from almost like an inspirational standpoint, getting back to playing pro hockey. But then after that, that must've been just an absolute gong show of a year as well. (laughs) It, that's a really good way of explaining it. Um, Yeah. I mean, for anyone who doesn't know, so the, the, I played for the Bakersfield Condors uh, and people today will know it as an American league team. They're, owned by the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, but back in that time, they were part of uh, what was called the West Coast Hockey League. And it was technically, I guess, what you'd consider like double A. Um, I think it's arguable whether it was A slash double A or not. But it was like double A. Um, those teams then ended up becoming what's pretty much the Pacific division of the ECHL. Uh, but back then, it was its own league. You had Long Beach, San Diego, Boise, Idaho, the Anchorage Aces, all these classic uh, West Coast professional hockey teams. And this was before there were uh, restrictions, uh, you know, kind of like veteran rules. So the, the team was mostly composed of guys who – had some of them had played in the NHL. Uh, we had one guy, Chris Felix, who was actually in the 1986 Olympics for Canada. Uh, we had guys who had played in the American League, guys who played you know high level pro in Europe, uh, and they were just kind of riding it out and living in California and playing pro hockey and getting into fights and doing crazy stuff. And it was really you know, and this was 2001, 2002. That was my comeback season. And, you know, I look back at that time and it was a real precious time because, 
it was almost like being a little time capsule because because the veteran rules weren't in effect yet, meaning you could have as many old guys as you wanted or you could afford. Uh, there was still that kind of slap shot feel <laughs> to that minor pro hockey. Very right? well in the book, like it, it's literally like a book about slap shot. It was incredible. Like it was so cool because it gets in depth on the players and the coaches and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's such an easy read and it's so entertaining. <laughs> well, it's funny because after I wrote the book and I came out with it and um, and it's you know I've written I would go on to write eight or nine books after that. And this one from, came out in, I think, 04, if I'm not mistaken, 2004. It's still in print. I still get royalty checks. <laughs> not big, like 50 cents or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so, I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like, it's literally like I, I, I'm talking about the book now out of passion for the game, you know. Um, but, uh, the, but I'm just so honored that people still find it. Um, interesting and relatable and insightful. And I think the reason why is, well, before I get to that, I want to say the thing about Slapshot is <clears throat> when I came out with the book, and you know, when you come out with a book, the publishers say, okay, can you get somebody to write a blurb, you know, <laughs> like someone famous, hopefully. And at the time, I was doing entertainment journalism, I was kind of running in Hollywood circles a little bit. And so I had a, con- through a connection, I, I, was, I got the phone number for the screenwriter of Slapshot. And for people who don't know, uh, it was written by a woman. Uh, really? It was written by a woman named Nancy, Nancy Dowd. And Nancy what? Dowd was uh, just working as a screenwriter in L.A. This was 2003, you know, as, you know looking for blurbs. And I said, hey, um, you know, can I send you a copy of my manuscript? And, you know, you, you wrote the, you know, the Bible, you know, like, oh, and, yeah of the pro hockey, minor pro hockey life. And, uh, and she's like, yeah, sure. Send it. And I, I was like, I almost felt bad. Cause I'm like, who am I, you know, sending her this book. And she probably didn't want to do a slap shot anymore. A few weeks go by and she sends me, this is a long time ago. So she sends me in the mail, a letter and she wrote this blurb and I quote, <clears throat> goalies are strange. <laughs> this one <laughs> that's that's really good. I mean, she could have stopped right there. Good goalies start. are strange. <laughs> that's it. Uh but she was goalies are strange. This one survived not only celebrity journalism, but also a brain tumor. But he had a dream, which was to stand in a cage on a sheet of ice while grown men with razors on their feet and clubs in their hands fired directly at him at alarming velocities, a small black cylinder. He made his dream come true. Goalies are strange. Nancy Dodd, screenwriter, slap shot. <laughs> wow. wow. What an That's endorsement. Cool. That's incredible. I know. I, I was so honored. I was like, did that just happen? Um, so I do agree with her that goalies are strange. But, you know, really, like, to go back to the book and, and how it's still in print after, gosh, it's like 16 years, I guess, and uh, people still find it. It's in bookstores. Um, you know, it's on Kindle. It's on everything. And and I've really thought a lot about it over the years and why people still read it and why they still connect with it. And I think it's really because the book is really not about hockey. It's really about life and what happens when you put everything on the line to pursue a dream that's really what the book's about. And hockey is just was like the backdrop to this pursuit, 
that I had. And, and really, I, what I really wanted to call the book, but the publisher wouldn't let me. I had a lot of stupid titles. Um, I ended up with They Don't Play Hockey in Heaven, uh, which kind of gives away a lot if I tell you why it's called that. So you kind of have to read the book. But, um, but one of the titles is I, I wanted to say, at least a subtitle, I was like, I want to say everything I need to know about life I learned playing hockey. Yeah. And the publisher, publisher said, well, it sounds like a self-help book. I said, well, it is. They're like, no, it's a memoir. And I was like, yeah, but I think this will help a lot of people and inspire them. They're like, no, it's a hockey memoir. Like, okay, whatever. <laughs> so, so really, it really, to me, that book was literally, um, I learned so much about myself. And, and I think, you know, maybe you, know, you guys can relate to this. I know Tove, you know, you made a huge career change. Uh, you left college hockey and you probably went through a bunch of soul searching, I'd imagine, and a lot of self-doubt, but you had a vision and a dream and you're living it. And it's an, it's an adventure every day. You have doubt, you have struggle, but you have these amazing moments of clarity where you achieved something and, and, and you made something out of nothing. And, and I know Jeff, you know, what you're doing, you're being entrepreneurial and you're, you know, you have your, your, your work and your whole business that you're building down in St. Louis and the great work you do on social media and connecting with so many people and inspiring them. And I think like really that book that I wrote about my comeback season as a hockey player is really about that. It's about quitting your job. <laughs> Everyone telling you it's really stupid. Like, look, you went to grad, you went to Colgate university you got a master's degree from Columbia University. You're working for a really good magazine when people actually read magazines, mind you. Um, you're going to quit your job, move to Bakersfield, California, and play minor pro hockey. Not even play minor pro hockey, have a chance to play because you still have to try out and see if you can make it and this and that. And so I was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, I have never regretted it once. And, and I will say... I have a lot of regrets in my life. You know, I'm a big believer in these people who say, oh, I have no regrets. I actually don't think that's very healthy. You know, I think that um, philosophically, it's fine. You can say, philosophically, I live without regret. But on a practical level, I think it can be healthy to have regret. Um, I'll give you an example. You know, like if I hadn't done what I did and quit my job, went to play pro hockey, gave it a try, put it all out there, I would have had regret. I probably wouldn't be the person talking to you today. A lot of things wouldn't have happened in my life if I hadn't done that. So really the message of the book is it's never too late and you're never too old to chase your dreams. And it sounds hokey and it might sound cheesy, but guess what? It's the truth. And I lived it and I tried to live that. Well, some pe- I mean, I think we live in cynical times in a lot of ways where Everyone's trying to be cool and I'm insta famous and like this and that and blah, blah, blah. But really, I think there needs to be more talk about, you know, hey, it's cool to have a dream, especially for young kids. You know, like I have a 15 year old, 16 year old, well, he just turned 17, my gosh, uh, <laughs> um, who both play hockey, who are both goalies. We'll get to that. That's a whole thing. No, I did not force them to do that. Um, but, uh, but I do think that it's really important to have dreams, to have aspirations and to have the courage to put yourself out there. And it's not really about achieving what you set out to do. It's the process. And everyone these days talks about process. You know, you hear about, he's like as Barry Trotz, he's become a friend of mine and, um, 
you know, I got to know him over the years and through some different people. And, and, uh, you know, he's a guy who talks about the process and the culture, right? Well, guess what? Like, he's right. I think that's why he's successful, right? It's all about every day trying to work towards something and it's okay to fail. And, and I, I was talking to a kid recently and I was like, you know, uh, you know, what, what do you, what, what's your goal for this year? And he's like, well, I don't know. I don't want to say it because then if it doesn't happen, I'll be disappointed. I was like, no, that's exactly why you should say what your goal is, what you want. And once you state that, it becomes closer to being real because you said it. And yep. so I think like all those things are really important. And, you know, and guys, I, I, in all honesty, I really am honored that you asked me to come on and speak because I'll talk about hockey all day long before you call like downstairs watching NHL network, you know, like I'll be at the rink tomorrow morning. I was out of stick and puck with my daughter today. Like I live hockey. Uh, but more than that, it's like, I just feel like hockey is a great vehicle to learn a lot about life. It's a great teacher of life. And that's why I love what, what you guys are about and the hockey think tank. And, and I don't mean to turn this into a commercial for hockey think tank, but Go ahead. really no, it's okay. Like, sure. <laughs> okay. So what I think is, I'm kidding. Well, no, it's true though. I mean, I'm going to give you props because it takes a lot. And I think, I, I don't know if people really understand the mountains that you are endeavoring to move. And someone who's a hockey dad now, in Chicago, uh, and seeing how things are said, where you're from. So you get it, uh, where the culture is a certain way and the coaching, and there's all these obstacles to pr- progress, right. And just your efforts to change the discussion, to change the culture, to advance it, to progress it is, is really great. But to me, you know, I always tell my kids at the end of the day, I don't care what your goals against average is, what your save percentage is. Oh, maybe save percentage because, you know, save percentage is more important than goals against average. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but, yeah, I do care a little bit. But what I care more about than all that stuff is, like, I just feel like hockey, and this is any sport, but we're hockey guys, right? So, you know, to me, hockey, it taught me that, look, it, nothing's ever perfect. Nothing. Nothing in life is ever perfect. And there's no better teacher of that than hockey because you learn, you make mistakes all the time. You fail. You do things you regret and you try to learn from them and be better. But there's always another game. There's always another practice. And it's always another chance to be better and to not let your past define who you are that improved person that you are today, don't let the past define you. And, and that's lessons that I've learned. I mean, I've, I lived in the public eye when I worked, I ended up working for entertainment. I was on TV every day. It's like, Oh, you're a celebrity count. I'm like, no, I'm a pseudo celebrity because I cover celebrities, but you know me because I do that, but I'm not a celebrity, but you become the focus of attention. And if you like, F up or do something stupid, guess what? Everyone knows about it. Cause like people like to talk about people who are on TV and you know, I have regrets and I think it's important to acknowledge that and say, but that doesn't define me. I want to be a better person for that. And that all comes from hockey. And so all the kids listening <laughs> and like coaches too, and parents, like when you hear people talk about this stuff, like, Hey, you're learning life lessons. I think kids hear that so much that it's just like white noise. It doesn't even mean anything. They're like, yeah, life lessons. I'm learning life lessons, but really, 
the game teaches you everything you need to know about well, life. Yeah, well, one of the things that it, it taught me, and I want to go back to something that you said because it really, like, it really kind of stinks when you talk about talking to that kid and he didn't really want to say what his goals were because he wasn't sure if if he was going to get them. I feel like that's just that's sad. You know, you, you want to encourage kids to, to have an imagination. You want to encourage kids. Like I've always subscribed to that you shoot for the moon and, and it's whether it happens, you're going to land on one of the stars. You know, some kind of saying like that where you, you reach as, as far, as far, as far as you can. And you're probably, you know what? At the end of the day, you're probably not going to get there if you're reaching that far. But you're going to get a lot closer by having that kind of mentality to, to actually achieving your dreams by having that at the forefront saying, hey, I want this. I'm going to work every day to get this. And being a five foot four, you know, kid from Chicago and like if I didn't have that kind of mindset and if my parents didn't put me in an environment to have that mindset and my parents didn't encourage me every day that if you put in the work, you can do anything you freaking want to do. I mean, if kids aren't put in that environment, I just feel like that's, that's sad because you don't achieve great things without risk and without really being vulnerable or putting yourself out there and uh, not being afraid to fail. That's, that's when greatness happens. And, and um, it's just kind of a crazy, sad thing that um, kids, I've, maybe it's more common nowadays than it was in back just because of uh, the comparative culture and you don't want to fail and, and be humiliated maybe if, if you don't end up getting what you set out to do. But I just think it's so healthy to have big goals and it's so healthy to have big dreams and an imagination. And then if you can center that with uh, with the consistency and a work ethic to, to really have the drive to want to get that and put the work in. Um, oh, my God. Like, again, you might not get to what you want to get to. But again, like you're talking about, Ken, the things that you learn throughout the process will take you so far. And it's just such a so much more fun to, to live life like that, you know. I mean, I told something. I'm, well, go ahead, Jeff. I'm actually going to mention you, but go ahead. I was, uh, well, I was just going to say I totally agree, and um, it's something that I've done in my gym since I've had my company. Is I uh, first of all, any client, no matter how old they are, I sit down with them one on one at a coffee shop for a couple of reasons. One, it makes what we're doing real. Like it's like all right, even though you're 13 years old, like you're coming here and I tell them, you know, your parents can sit at the table too. A lot of them don't want their parents there. Some of them do. It doesn't matter. And we go through, all right, what are your goals? That's the first thing I ask. What are your goals? Short term and long term. End of the summer, where do you want to be? Who do you want to play for? Who are you playing for now? What are your long term goals? Whatever. And like, it's so powerful to say them. It's so powerful to say them because then it's out there. Like people know. So then you can be held accountable. So like I have a kid in the gym who's on spring break from, uh, from Shattuck St. Mary's and, and all the time when, when we're doing bike sprints or we're, we're, you know, uh, working out or whatever. And like, I think maybe he's giving it 99 and not a hundred. Like I walk over and I yell in his ear what his goal is. Cause you know, we go over that. I'm not going to say it about this kid, but I'll, I'll yell that. And immediately a light like burns even brighter and he hits that hundred and he's giving it everything he can because he'd said it. Then some people can help him hold him self-accountable so it's 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 so massive and no kid should be afraid to say their goals write down their goals constantly be bringing them up constantly be thinking about them uh there's no other way to like force yourself to to try and achieve it so yeah that's massive i love that you guys both said that well jeff like i 
I, I think like a lot, there's a lot to be said for authenticity and, and I'm not just talking from players, like being your authentic self, but also coaches, um, being real, I think goes a long way. And I think people, they always want to earn respect, right? The best way to earn respect is to be the best version of yourself. And I'll say it again, be the best version of yourself and yep. don't try to be anybody else. You know, and you know, for me, it's like, I, you know, hockey, it's always a spiritual experience for me. You know, I mean, I never felt, you know, people go to hot yoga to feel what I would feel every time I go out and play hockey. Right. You know, it's just like, wow. Like, wow. I'm just like, got all these endorphins going. And it's almost like the spiritual thing. And, you know, I ended up, getting into studying Buddhism and different things and much later ended up writing a a book about that spiritual journey. And, um, and, you know, one of the things I learned was, uh, um, you know, I kind of was reading something and then I was talking to um, my son actually. And, you know, like I said, my, my daughter, my son, they're both teenagers, they're both goaltenders. And my son was playing, Oh God, I think he maybe was playing Bantam at the time and and uh he, he just was kind of frustrated and he was like, Well, so and so, like coach is playing him and I didn't get that game and you know, and he doesn't like me as much as that, you know, something along those lines and and I said, Hey Jackson, yeah, you know what the Buddha says? <laughs> he looks at me like <laughs> Dad, what are you talking about? Like, I'm talking about my coach. I'm talking about the other goalie. Like you're bringing up like this fat bald guy, you know? Um, and so <laughs> I'm like, no, the, the Buddha had a lot of cool things to say that actually apply to hockey. And he's like, all right, like what? What did, what did the Buddha say? Like, he knows me well enough to say like, you're going to tell me anyway. So go ahead, dad, tell me what the Buddha says. And uh, I said, Buddha says that comparison is the thief of joy. And he looks at me, comparison is the thief of joy. And I could tell he didn't really understand what I just said. And I said, in other words, if you want to be really unhappy, compare yourself to other people. And you're guaranteed to be unhappy because the comparing, constant comparison will steal your joy like a thief in the night. And it is so true. And I have suffered that. Oh, why is so-and-so getting this and that? And, you know, why is this happening to me? Like, why am I, you know, getting treated this way? Well, guess what? That is a dead end. And and I think well, like, that's, like, that's why, like, go ahead. I was just saying, that's like, I always tell the kids and and that's like what you just said is so massive for any young hockey player to listen to. That's, that's, you know, starting to get better. And then they look around and see, Oh, so-and-so committed or so-and-so made this team. And we always talk about that. Like that's like, that's worrying and worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you get nowhere doing it. You just waste energy instead of that energy of looking around and comparing yourself. And why is he getting this? And I'm not, and you know, what's, what am I compared to him? And so no, take that energy and use it to make yourself better and improve yourself. And, and work on what you're doing and just look forward and look in the mirror and know you're doing the best you can do for you. And if you do that, 
you're going to turn out to be the best version of yourself. Like everyone should strive to be not someone else. Yeah, it's really true. I mean, my, you know, that's has like a big impact. That's so relatable today. Like, you know, my son, he's just finished midget hockey and he's looking into this, like this next level, right? Like, can I, can I make play junior hockey? You know, and you you might look at people and say, well, that guy got tendered and this guy is getting drafted or da da da. And I'm like, like, hey, bud, do you realize people look at you and they're like, hey, why did he get to back up in the USHL this year? I didn't. You know, I think if you want to get caught into the it's a it's a trap. It's the trap of comparison. Yeah. And you will never get out of it. And it, that's why that's why I think it goes back to hockey with being a great vehicle for life lessons, because you can learn that in hockey. And guess what? you're going to need that in life because you're going to have a job and there's going to be a, a coworker or somebody who's going to be getting all these things and get all the, you know, the raises and the you know promotions and things like that. And you're not. And the best answer is to look at yourself. Don't look at them. You know, and all the, all the stuff you hear when you're a kid playing hockey, like especially goalies, I think like goaltending is such an interesting position because it's sort of all the stuff that players, non-goalies deal with, but just in a more heightened, high-profile way, right? Uh, the things about, like, worry about what you can control, not what you can't. It's, like, so simple, right? But guess what? It's profound. It is absolutely the most simple things are the most profound things. And I, and I think for me, it's like what I'm gratified by is like, Oh yeah, my kids get, they play triple A hockey and they're pretty good and they work hard and they know their work ethic. But what I care about is like, are they good people? Are they becoming better people? And I know like Toph, like you talk a lot about this and like, I'm riveted every time you're talking about this subject about parents and the impact they have on kids, their impact on the game and I really want parents to understand as a hockey parent, as a goalie dad, and as an imperfect human being and an imperfect you know, hockey parent, um, you know, I will tell you that if you want to suck the joy out of a kid's hockey career, then you go ahead and throw the comparison trap on them and let them be locked down by it and tell them that Jimmy Joe and, and Susie are doing this and you're not, that is a career killer. Yeah. And, and I think it's so important to just focus on them and support them. And not everything's rosy. You know I mean? I feel like I was just, I don't I say, I don't coach my kids. I stopped coaching my kids when they were like nine or 10. Cause I was like, I don't want to be the guy coaching, especially the goalies, you know? Um, but I taught them the position and, you know, I had my own theories about, there's a right way, you know, they learn the right way, how to play, how to play, you know? And, and I was just out on the ice with my daughter and she's breaking her new glove and, and, uh, she made a save and, uh, and it popped out of her hand, you know, cause it's a new glove, right? So it's stiff and kind of hard to break in. And, and, and she's like, just like leaves it hanging there. And I said, you got to cover up the box. <laughs> and she's looking at me like, well, I just want to break in my glove. You know, <laughs> I don't want to like practice, like covering up the puck. Like I need to like practice, like catching it. 
And I said, no, I want you to practice how you would play. And, and it's like always when you're in a coaching environment and you're around kids, it's like bringing everything back to the why. Like, why are you doing this? Not just do this. Here's why you should do this. Um, and I love hockey for that reason. I really do. I love it because it's fun. And I love it because it's just a great game. And I could play any position and have fun. And I could be really bad and have fun. Um, it doesn't matter. Um, but I love the learning opportunities that exist in every point of hockey. It's, it's, it's just an incredible sport. Yeah, I mean it really is, and and I don't, I don't honestly, Vex, I don't think we need to add anything to that. I think Ken pretty much covered covered like basically what we believe in, and and what we talk about all the time uh, on this episode. And I do have to say, like uh, little Johnny got a little bit of a break. Uh, usually when we're ripping on, you know, little it's usually little Johnny, but I think you said like Jimmy John or Jimmy Joe or something like that. So <laughs> I, uh, I want to give a shout She's out from to the country. Jim, Jimmy Joe and, and Susie. I think Susie you said, um, but I wanted to ask you because, um, you know, I have daughters and I grew up in boys hockey and I really would love to know what the difference is in being a hockey dad or maybe even a hockey coach if you coach both of them between the boys and the girls um, because when you talk about these kinds of life lessons you talk about all everything that we were just kind of going through is it different when it comes to the boys game versus the girls game in in kind of disseminating that information or teaching those types of things or is it something that's pretty standard for for each it's so funny you ask that because I was just having this conversation with a, another hockey dad and, uh, and he was, he asked me that question cause he just has a son who plays and he looks at girls hockey is like, Oh yeah, it's just kind of like a slower, less physical, less skilled version of boy hockey. Like he kind of like had that attitude. So he's like, he's like, Oh God bless you Ken for sitting at all those girls games. And he literally said that. And, I said to him, I go, can I be totally honest with you? He's like, yeah. I was like, I get way more pleasure out of going to my daughter's games than my son's games. Just to be perfectly honest, it's more fun. Like just from a parent's perspective, it's more fun. And, you know, and he was like, why? And it kind of made me sort of articulate. I was like, oh, well. I go, it's more fun. And I was like, give me, give me an example. We like the girls did a bus trip and you know, they have, you know, everyone needs to have a parent and, you know, kind of, and we sit in the front and they have fun in the back and the girls are on the bus ride about four hours in, they get really bored. They start singing like what I'd call like campfire songs, <laughs> you know, like just like really fun little songs and things. And they're just having so much fun and just the, the whole culture of it it's just more pleasurable from a parenting perspective. And I think the reason why is because of the professionalization of the boys game has trickled down so deep and so young into it's, it's almost like the corporatization of youth hockey to the point where it's taking the fun out of it, not only for the kids, but for the parents. You know, and, and like, and I wish I could say like, I have a son who just got done with midget AAA hockey and it was so much fun and just as fun as the girls hockey. The truth is that's yeah, fun. And it's really cool to see 
my son doing well and he enjoys it and he really gets a lot of, you know, he's making friends and getting life experiences and he has a dream of playing college hockey and all that stuff. And, and that's cool. It's really great. But is it always fun? No. And, and if I, if, if I could, you know, you can make generalizations and things like that. And I am, I'm making a gross generalization because there are times when the girls game is not fun either, you know, like where there's drama and things are going on just like a boys, you know, a, a boys team dynamic. But in general, I think it's that professionalization of the boys game that is a direct result of just, it starts at the top of the pyramid. You're now making big money, right? We started off with Patrick Kane making what, I don't know, 13 million or whatever it is he makes, something like that a year. So everyone sees that and it's like, okay, and then that puts the next level down of like college and junior, there's more pressure because like, Oh, there's more money involved and, and there is more of a business. And even junior hockey now is a much bigger business than it was when I played for my Buffalo team in the North American hockey league. It was just basically kids hockey, but we were just older. It wasn't a business really. Um, and now that's gone down to like coaches making big money, giving private lessons to seven year olds. And the business of it, the professionalization, I think, has taken a lot of joy out of the game, particularly the boys' game. And not so much the girls' game. And I'm not going to make gender, uh, gender observations because I'm just going to make the observation that I do think that the money corrupts aspect to it is definitely there in the boys' game where I don't see it as much in the girls' game, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> and I also think it's it's different in different parts of the country too. And that's something that I wanted to ask you because you were a hockey dad in, in L.A. for, for a long time and, and now you're obviously living in Chicago. Um, was there a big difference when it came to those kinds of things? Because it's very different in New York here um, than, you know, than it was in Chicago, which and it's very different in Minnesota, I'm sure, and, and Michigan and all that kind of stuff. So what were the biggest differences in moving to L.A. or in moving from L.A. to Chicago when it came to being a hockey dad and and having to navigate all of those kinds of things? You mean like youth hockey in general, like boys and girls? Yeah, yeah, just in general. Yeah, okay. Well, it's a great question because there's huge differences. Um, You know, in California, as much as the game has grown, it still is pretty much a super niche sport. And I mean, when I lived there, you know, we, the kids grew up basically at the beach, like four miles from the practice center where the Kings live and the Kings lived all around us. And these guys were invisible. <laughs> I mean, until they won the Stanley cup and what was it like 2012, something like that. Sure. Uh, they were essentially invisible and to this day can pretty much just be invisible people. Um, not that there aren't like millions, probably hundreds of thousands of hardcore hockey fans, but they're just, there's so much going on. There's so many people, there's so many options. So for kids to play hockey in California, I don't, I don't know if people really understand, like I'll have people in Chicago say, Oh, it's such a commitment, you know, and it's, it's so expensive and, you know, it's almost travel. And I'm just sitting there looking at them, like, imagine like having to get on a plane just to play a competitive game. That's not against Anaheim. (laughs) That's literally the reality is daunting. And, uh, you know, so the kids who come out of California who are elite and have those bigger aspirations, um, 
I truly believe that they've really sacrificed. The families have sacrificed a lot of, of, you know, the traditional time, money, all that, because it's just really hard. You know, it might be two hours just to drive to practice because there's not a lot of ranks and the traffic and the vast distances. Everyone knows how spread out LA is. Um, you know, you think ice costs are expensive in your city, go to LA and then we'll talk. Um, so, um, and then just the travel elements. And that's ultimately what a lot of it was what pushed, uh, pushed us out to, to come here. Um, there are a lot of reasons for it. Uh, wanting to career change, lifestyle change, but just seeing the kids and where they were going with their hockey and they really wanted to be in a more competitive atmosphere where they were surrounded by people more like them and a more of a hockey culture. And, uh, and that's how we ended up in Chicago. And I'll tell you like Chicago, um, big difference is, you know, the parents generally, um, they're, 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 they're more, not, they're more knowledgeable. They're more hockey people. Like maybe they're more likely to have played. Whereas like out in California, even though there's a lot of people now who are having, they play and their kids are playing and it's becoming more multi-generational. Uh, at least when my kids were coming up, uh, I was one of the rare guys who actually played hockey at a higher level and had my kids playing. Uh, because most of the kids that my kid, my kids grew up with playing hockey out there, their parents like had no idea. Their kid just saw hockey on TV and thought it was cool, and they signed them up. They have no reference point. And there's something about that that is actually it works both ways. Um, it can be really great because kind of like um, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> it's like I don't really know lacrosse, and when my son plays lacrosse, I'm like great game, you know, he may have played terribly, but I have no idea. Cause I don't know what they're doing out there. <laughs> I never know what he's doing um, back there. So, <laughs> what are they doing with that stick in his hand? What are you doing? Yeah. Um, that's very good reference there. Um, but, uh, uh, meatloaf. There we go. There we go. There we go. <laughs> so, yeah. You got to get one in every show. Of course. Um, so, but, uh, so I would say like that aspect of it really is different. Uh, whereas like in Chicago, you're dealing with like, you know, people are a little more savvy, a little more informed about hockey, uh, which is good because, you know, they may be more in tune with what's really happening and maybe less likely to have some private coach rob them blind because they don't know, <laughs> you know, all the guy kind of stuff. Um, so they can maybe be in a position to help their kid, but it can also be a detrimental thing where maybe they meddle more, you know, where parents are a little more meddling, a little more involved, have, you know, these opinions about the way things are and should be, uh, whereas maybe it's not as intense uh, like that in California. Don't get me wrong. They're not all angels out there. I love my hockey moms and dads out there. But, um, but yeah, so that, that's a big difference. And, and then just in general, to be honest, the, the Chicago, particularly with the girls game, oh, my gosh, it's so competitive. We were just – watching uh, the 16U Girls State Championship as Mission and Chicago Young Americans. And you'd think you were in the United Center. It was like madness. Yeah, I mean, it was a small rink, but it was just so intense. The competition, it was amazing stuff. And, uh, and that's, I think, you can't really have that experience uh, right now, at least. Uh, on the West coast. And though hockey has grown tremendously, like huge, um, the, you know, the, the junior Kings have started a girls program called the LA lions. 
the junior sharks, they've been trying to get a foothold. There's an up and coming girls program up in the Bay area now, uh, called the blue devils. And they, they got some cool things going on. Uh, and the boys game, you know, they continue to produce players, but sadly, like my son, when he was 14, you know, kids, eventually elite players have to leave because you just aren't getting that competition, the exposure level, sort of that, that regular contact with competition, you know, that makes you better. So, and also just the travel by the time a kid gets to be like 15, 16, a lot of the parents out there are just so burned out. (laughs) Yo, yeah. I mean, they're just like, I don't even want to know how much I spent on my, you know, my round trip tickets and hotels and rental cars and all that stuff. So, so those are, you know, there are some pretty big differences, but you know what the thing is in common? The game is not different out there. I think people used to say like, Oh, West coast hockey, it's more like skating and it's like, you know, more lightweight. No, (laughs) it's all North American hockey, right? It's all kind of, Everyone has the same knowledge now and the same access to the, everything, and uh, and it's, it's really competitive hockey. <laughs> yes, because of you. Well, Ken, <laughs> it's what? a global phenomenon. Oh, we're getting there, baby. We're getting there. Well, uh, well, Ken, we've had you on here for quite a bit, but there is one question that I wanted to ask you, and you mentioned that you've been in L.A. and you were a, a kind of like a celebrity reporter. Not kind of. You were a celebrity reporter out there. And I've always been interested in people who are the best of their fields that – don't involve hockey. So I, I've always loved to learn about like musicians and about poets and just people who are the best at their craft. And you had a firsthand knowledge and you got to know a lot of people in the Hollywood uh, era, not era, but the Hollywood area um, that were the best at their craft, whether it was, you know, celebrities like the Kardashians or just actors or just all of these different types of people with all of these different types of personalities. Um, I, what like how could you how could you explain in almost like for people that are more like sports in what they do to make them so successful? I just I love learning about people, non sports people that are the best at what they do. So like why are some of those people that you were able to to know in that area the best at what they do? So you mean like sort of like not like famous people who played hockey, but just like in general people. Who just really in general, did, you know, like right? actors or right. just people that you sure. got to know in that field that were the best at what they do. Like what made them that way? Um, I think the number one thing is there's always a certain level of talent, right? Like you get to a certain point where it's like, yeah, there's a lot of people who can sing, <laughs> right? Um, just to use music as an example. And I loved musicians. Like I, my time out there, I love musicians because they're just like artists, you know, like whereas actors are pretending to be someone else. The musicians, they may take on a character, but they're really expressing something really deep inside them. And I love musicians for that reason. But if we, if there's a common denominator amongst everyone and, you know, I was lucky enough to work alongside really, you know, talented hosts and uh, people who were, uh, actors and musicians and, you know, producers, directors, uh, you know, all kinds of people. Um, I would say the number one common denominator is they had passion for what they did. And not only did they have passion, but they deeply cared about the work that they did. Like it, they, it mattered to them. And something really cool happened just within the last couple of weeks. And 
I hope my kids aren't like, oh, dad, why'd you say this? But I think it's really instructive. And I don't think they'll freak out. Um, my, both my kids, they had the old playoff disappointment happen with their teams, right? So happens to everyone. Only one team can win the last game of the season, right? So each of their teams, they both played at Team Illinois, great program. Um, daughter lost, son lost. And I found out that both my son and my daughter, um, they cried in the locker room after the last game. And my kids aren't criers around the rink. Um, I don't know, maybe it's part of like, I kind of maybe put that in their ear at an early age. Like, you know, you gotta be a goalie, you know, you gotta kind of be a leader, you know, whatever I said, I don't know if I was, you were fit or they're just that way, but they both cried. My son, that was shocking to find out. I don't think I've ever seen him drop a tear, like near an ice rink. And I felt so gratified to learn that they got emotional. And I told them, I said, you know, I'm really sad for you guys that you lost. And I know you put so much hard work into it. You care so much about your team, but guess what? I love that you cared so much. I love that you care. I love that you care about your team and you care about your hockey and what you're doing. That's everything. It's the key to life. And that comes from the passion. So that's the best answer I can give. And I always used to say, you know, like Kim Kardashian, uh, she didn't, you know, I got to know her pretty well. Um, you know, she didn't go to college. Um, I mean, she's now since tried to get more education and stuff, but, but she had a PhD in Kim Kardashian. <laughs> like she knew what she was doing. She had purpose and passion and she really cared and she was genuine about it. And people say, Oh, it's cheesy or this or that, but no, no behind there, someone really cared about what they did. And I respect that. I may not like it. I might not be into their, what they're doing, but I respect the passion. So that, that was what I would say. That's really cool. I mean, I think if you can find something that you can be passionate about, I, I, that's like one of the best goals that you can ever have in life. Hey, Jeff, like, and for us, we're fortunate to be able to live our passion every day in this great sport. And, um, it's just so good for the soul to, to have something to, to really dive into and put everything that you have into. And, you know, for all the kids that are out there and for everybody listening, I mean, that's what you, that's what you want for your kids. That's, that's what you want as a, as an individual is to, to just find that love, find that love, find that passion, whether it's for something or someone or whatever it may be. If you can dive everything you have into and, and be vulnerable and really put just literally everything that you have into something, what, I mean, what's better in life than that? Yeah, and that's exactly why you want people to state their goals, state their dreams, say that stuff. Then they start to go after it. We didn't say when we were younger, I want to make my living in hockey, but I want to do it as a guy who runs a website, webinars, professional speaking, a podcast. I didn't say I want to be a guy in, I want to make my living in hockey, but as a strength coach and mentor and speaker and all this other stuff. Like we just gave our all in hockey. Every single day we played, our life was dedicated to hockey. That was our passion. And we both played professionally, but because of our passion and everyone believed in our passion and believes that we like gave everything, they, they look up to us now to, to kind of learn how to do that. And now we make our living in hockey as well, just in a different way. So like 
our passion as players, because we went after it and gave it our all. And like we talked about all, all this whole podcast, we are able to make a living in hockey and helping people. And, and it's just because we just followed our passion. It's like state your goals and then work towards them. And then, you know, I'm not saying everything's going to work out, but like, just go for them and, and other things will come up. Good things will come from you putting yourself out there. Love it. Love it. Absolutely. Well, Ken, thank you so much for coming on. This might've been the deepest episode we've had. AJ. It was real deep. We got deep. <laughs> we got nice and deep. Um, but this was awesome. Be, getting the chance to be able to speak with you. Um, very, very glad that, uh, you've been able to help us out with some of our charity stuff. Um, again, one of the books for anybody that's passionate about hockey and loves the game, go get Ken's book. They don't play hockey in heaven. It's an inspirational story. Uh, it's also, it's, it's like almost like uh, the legend of bagger Vance meets Slapshot. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Okay. Um, but Ken, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And best of luck being a hockey dad there with the two hockey goalies. That's got to be pretty insane. I'm here, Tove. Thanks oh. for those kind words. I was amazing. I was just like taking in what you're saying. And I just love everything you said. But we were swimming in the deep end of the podcast pool for the last however long a period of time. So if I may just really quick, take us to the kiddie pool. We're going to go to the shallow end right now. We have a mutual friend from the hockey world who told me something that I was supposed to ask you. Oh, and gosh. the question is this. Oh no. The question is, is it true that you made really weird faces when you played hockey? So people tell me that. I don't know if I did, but yeah, apparently I do because I've had multiple people tell me that, and I know who <laughs> I know who who told you that, so it's all good. But I guess I guess so. I don't know. Just very expressive, Ken. I'm an expressive person. I like to wear it all on my sleeve, you know. It's called it's called emo, Jeff. Though. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, you got to know. You got to know what these faces are because I never saw him play competitively, so I don't know. But these faces, Honestly, apparently, when, they're when pretty we were, intense. Yeah, when we were younger and we would play in tournaments together, and the cousin connection got to hook up, and we were actually sick but never played together other than like these random fun things. We had cages on. And he was out there dangling everybody. I would just go for a breakaway and somehow he'd magically find me or hit me back. So I didn't really have to do anything, but I could never see his face. But now I'm going to look for it. We play in charity games and stuff. I'm going to look for it now. I'm going to have to be careful. I'm going to have to be very, very careful. Everybody's got a phone. Everybody's got a camera on their phone now. So it better be able to get some of, some of those facial recognition. But, um, yeah, Walsh, eat it, buddy. <laughs> um, but awesome, Ken. Thanks so much. Uh, we appreciate your time. And uh, we'll be talking to you at some point pretty soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. It's great stuff. We really appreciate it out here in Hockey Vance. Thank you. Thanks. See you.